good morning, everybody. It is great to see you. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us today. I also want to say hello to those that are uh, watching from our online campus. Wherever you may be watching from, thank you for tuning in and being a part of worship again with us here at the Vista. I also want to welcome in a couple of uh, other groups. Uh, first of all, this is the first week that many of our college students are back uh, at their campuses. Congratulations, you were born at a time in human history where you get to go to college during a pandemic. And so I'm sure that's not what you signed up for, but it is what it is. And so uh, students, whether you are here or you are watching from a dorm room or something somewhere, we're glad that you're a part. Thanks for tuning in. And then also, as Austin mentioned last week, I also want to welcome in all of our kiddos that are worshiping with us. Um, We are not having our Vista Kids classes right now. Um, We were advised by uh, some local health officials that it would be better if we just waited a little bit on those classes till after school gets started. So that's what we're trying to do. And because that is the case, uh, we have a lot of kids worshiping with us. And again, as Austin mentioned, uh, we love kids here. Uh, we are glad they're a part, of, a part, and it's okay if they act like kids uh, during, during church. Um, I have a microphone, and they can just turn me up louder. So that's what we will do. Glad to have our kids worshiping with us, um, but really great to, great to see you guys. We're in the second week of a series that Austin kicked off last Sunday called How to Be. And if you missed last week's sermon, I would encourage you to uh, go online and check it out. He did a fantastic job kicking off this, uh, this series. Um, he described for us uh, something that our culture and our world seems to be caught up in. It's this disease that existed long before coronavirus called hurry sickness. Um, this idea that we are so incredibly busy and we're more depressed and we feel like we got to strive and we got to achieve and we got to produce And we got to go from one thing to the next, and we're not getting enough sleep, and it's absolutely killing us. And so we're we're, throughout this series, we're going to be talking about how to how to slow down, how to be who God wants us to be, and wait for the patient work of God in our in our lives. And so today we're going to be looking at a parable that is found in Matthew chapter thirteen. So you can begin to turn there if you'd like. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Uh, I came across a quote this week that I thought was really applicable to this particular series. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, everyone is in a hurry. They have adopted the lifestyle of a tourist and only want the high points. Sometimes I feel like that, right? We're just kind of going through life as tourists. We're quickly moving from thing to thing to thing, and after we get done with one thing that stressed us out, we quickly jump to something else that's going to stress us out. And so we're going to talk about how we can slow down. We're going to look at the parable of the sower. Now, uh, it's interesting, in the parable of the sower, it really is a parable that's about preparing our lives so that we can produce, right? So that we can produce Something And so it may seem a little bit ironic. We're in a series talking about how we slow down and don't get caught up in the achieving and striving and producing. And yet we're going to look at a parable that's really all about preparing your life to, to produce. But I want to show that these two ideas are not mutually exclusive, that they actually go hand in hand. They're tied together. And so before we get into the text, I've got to do some setting up. Jesus often used the language or the analogy of bearing fruit. You'll you'll hear this language uh, from Jesus throughout the Gospels. You see it in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, you will recognize them by their fruit. 
Uh, We see it in Matthew chapter 12, just right before this section where he talks about bearing fruit. We see it here in the parable that we're going to look at today. We see it over in John chapter 15, where Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches and that we again are to produce, we are to bear fruit. And so there's this language about fruit bearing really throughout the gospels from the lips of Jesus. So what does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean to be people that follow after him and our lives bear fruit for the kingdom of God? Well, it doesn't just mean one thing. It actually means several different things. As you look through scripture, you'll see that, first of all, to bear fruit speaks about a godly character. Um, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? It lists it out there, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that if we have a Christ in our hearts, we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, they ought to be things that flow out of our life, right? It's just a good, godly kind of character. We ought to be displaying things like love and joy and peace and patience and all, all of those things. And so that's one thing when the Bible talks about bearing fruit, that's what it's talking about. Does your life display a life that is governed and led by the Holy Spirit? Another thing that we talk about when it comes to bearing fruit is, uh, is good works, We live lives where we want to do good things. We want to be a blessing to other people. So we look for opportunities to minister and to serve and to do good deeds, to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so one thing about when it comes to bearing fruit, it means the actions of your life, the good deeds, the good works that we do. Another thing when it comes to bearing fruit, the Bible will speak of evangelism or or witness. So when you as a follower of Jesus... You point other people to Jesus. Uh, You help other people be followers of Christ through your witness or through your testimony. That is one way in which you bear fruit, right? You bear fruit by helping point other people to Christ. Another thing the Bible talks about when it comes to bearing fruit is worship, what we just did. The Bible calls it the fruit of our lips, the praise and the worship that we give. This is something unique to believers because people that don't believe in Jesus, they don't worship Jesus, right? But when we uh, are followers of Christ, he is the object of our worship. The fruit of our lips is on display, and we worship. That is one way we bear fruit is through our our worship. And then finally, the Bible talks about uh, giving or generosity being one way that we bear fruit. In the Old Testament, it used the terminology when, when it came to giving or tithing, it would talk about bringing God your first fruits, and it was talking about, uh, again, the, the very first, the very best of your sacrifice. And so we talk about generosity and giving, and Jonah got up here and talked about ways in which we're able to, to use that money to bless people around the world. And that is part of believers' lives bearing fruit, okay? So in the Bible, and when Jesus specifically uses the, the terminology that we're to be people that bear fruit or produce fruit, there's a lot of different things that he's talking about, okay? So we're going to look at this, this parable where Jesus talks about the groundwork necessary in order to bear fruit. Now, I need to say one more thing in the way of preface, and this is really, really, really important that we get this. We do not produce, we do not bear fruit so that God will love us and forgive us and, 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 and have favor on us, all right? We do, not, we do not bear fruit, we do not produce so that God will love us and forgive us and, and find favor with us. We bear fruit because he already does. Are you following me on that? We do not bear fruit so that God will save us to earn some salvation. No, no, no. We bear fruit because God has already saved us. 
We believe very much the idea that we don't come to God with anything to offer, anything to give. God redeems, God saves, God rescues us through his substitutionary work at the cross on our behalf. And now, because of what God has done for us, it is our joy then to bear fruit in light of that. And it's so important that we get this because religion is basically all about um, man trying to work really hard and strive and achieve and produce so that the deity up there in the sky somewhere will love him and he'll measure up and, and will find favor with him. And the idea is that if you don't produce enough, God's angry with you or God's mad at you, but that's not the teaching of Christianity. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is God loved us while we were sinners and had nothing to offer, and now it's our joy and our response out of the overflow of our heart then to produce. And that's so important that we understand that because we get the cart before the horse and we've just completely messed up the teaching of the Bible, teaching of Scripture. And so producing fruit means a number of different things, and we don't do that in order to earn God's favor, but rather because God has already given us favor through salvation through His Son. Okay, now all of that sets up Matthew chapter 13, this parable of the sower. All right, so here's the way it begins. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. All right, we've already got to stop. (laughs) We didn't get very far. It's going to be a long day. I'm just kidding. We'll get through the rest really quick. But we have to stop right there because this is so interesting to me. I started looking through some scripture and, and, and finding the number of times that really prominent teachings or stories or miracles or whatever, they begin with a verse similar to this. And these are often verses we sort of pass over on the way to the next miracle or the next teaching or the next big event or whatever. But the story of the parable of the sower, which is a really important and prominent parable, it begins with a verse that says, Jesus went out and he sat beside the sea. And this isn't something Jesus just did randomly in Matthew 13. It's something that Jesus did regularly and often. I'll show you a few other places. One page over in Matthew 14. There's another really big miracle that takes place. Jesus feeds the 5,000. I'm sure you've heard of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Really, really prominent story that we, we want to, you know, we, we dive into and talk about. But here's how that block of teaching in my Bible, Jesus feeds 5,000 is one of the headings. Here's the verse right after that. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That's how the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 starts. Jesus getting on a boat and going somewhere by himself. In Mark chapter 1, there's a story of Jesus doing ministry. He's casting out demons and healing people. There's like a line out the door. It goes all through the night And it says that the disciples wake up the next morning and they can't find Jesus. And there's all these people there waiting on ministry and and they don't know where Jesus is and they, they have to go find him. And they go and they find him and they're like, everybody's looking for you. There's really important stuff to be done. But Jesus, he was, he had to get away. He had to get away and spend some time just by himself with the father. In Mark 6, we'll look at one more. Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out the disciples to, to do ministry there. And they all uh, go out and preach and teach and and do what Jesus told them to do. Then they come back together. And so here's what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, you might think, what's next? Man, we got to send them back out. There's more stuff to be done. There's more people that need to know Jesus. There's more work to be done, right? Produce, produce, produce. Here's what Jesus does, verse 31. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. 
And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Listen, this is something that Jesus practiced often in his life. He would get away out by the sea. He would get away up on a mountain. He would get away by himself just to practice this stillness and the quiet, the solitude, the silence, and the prayer. He didn't just do it himself. He also led and taught his disciples to do the same. In the midst of very busy seasons of ministry, he said, it's really important for you to get away. They're coming back going, all right, what's next? And he's like, let's get in the boat and go out on the lake, right? This seemed to be the way of Jesus. And so we're going to look at this parable back in Matthew 13 that's all about producing and bearing fruit. But keep in mind verse 1, because these things, again, they go hand in hand, and I want to tie them together at the end. So, okay, here's the parable. I promise I will read more than one verse this time, all right? So again, that same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the sea, and a great, a great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying... A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, and where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty Some 30, he who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples, they ask him, uh, hey, why do you you teach in parables? And so Jesus explains a little bit about why he teaches in parables, and that was a primary teaching uh, tool of Jesus. And then we get to verse 18, and Jesus then breaks down and explains the parable of the sower. Jesus didn't always do this. He doesn't break down and fully dive in and, 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 you know, explain every single parable that he ever taught, but he does with the parable of the sower. And I just think it's so important because Jesus wanted his followers to get this instruction, okay? So here's what he does in verse 18. He he breaks it down and explains it. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And then as for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. All right? So, again, I love the parable of the sower because to me, it's pretty straightforward. It doesn't seem, once Jesus explains it all, it doesn't really seem that complicated, and yet I think think it's really challenging. Every time I read the parable of the sower, I'm deeply challenged just to look at my own life, right? The idea is that someone goes out to sow seed, that they cast seed, and it falls on different types of ground. And the parable sort of walks through different kinds of the wrong or bad ground. The first kind of bad ground is the path. It's really, really hard. So seed falls on the path and and nothing grows. Nothing grows. 
It'd be like me trying to throw seed on this stage up here, hoping that something would grow. That would be ridiculous. Nothing's going to grow on the stage, right? It's hard. It's not going to work. And so the idea is that that's the way some people's lives are. That's the way some people's hearts are. They're just hardened to the things of God, to the Word of God, right? It doesn't matter how loudly or passionately you preach. Um, some of you may have friends or family or coworkers or people you've tried really, really hard to, to um, you know, preach the gospel, teach them, instruct them, give them some counsel or advice, and they're just completely closed to it. They're hardened towards the things of God. Some people's lives look like that. And it doesn't matter, again, you're, you're trying to preach truth, teach truth, and they just don't want to hear it. That's the first type of ground, just a heart that's really, really hardened to the things of God. The second type of ground that he talks about is the rocky ground. It's, the thing about the rocky ground is there's a little bit of dirt there, and so at first, things start to grow, but it, there's, no, there's no root there's, there's no roots because the rocks won't allow the roots to grow. And so it's just a really sort of shallow life or a shallow kind of heart. I mean, maybe this, just being honest, maybe this describes uh, some of you. You know, we, you get excited about the Lord, you get excited about worship, you know, and, and you're kind of fired up. And then eh, once you leave and, 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 it, and it's just, there's just no roots, there's just no roots. You know, we, we, part of our job here at the church Part of our job as pastors and what we're trying to do is to help you grow some roots. So that's the reason we talk so much about, about small groups and about Bible studies, about accountability and discipleship and, and, and all these things because those things have a way of helping you grow some roots in your life. Not just, you know, the hour a week that you kind of spend coming together. That's important, but there's so much more. If you're going to develop some roots, there's got to be more. And so we, we, we beat that drum a lot, Right? Because we want, we want you to grow some roots. We don't want you to be... I used to speak to students all the time when I would speak at youth camps and things. And I would see this thing where it's weird. Like at camp, it, kids get really excited about Jesus and make all these commitments, right? They're like, yay, gee, they're ready to like charge hell with a water pistol when they come home. And then like a few weeks later, it's like, eh, you know? And again, I just, it just felt like it's a lot of that rocky ground where it's, where it's, man, excited about the word. And then all of a sudden... No roots. Another type of ground that he talks about then, the next one is the one of, that's full of thorns. Again, like the rocky ground, it springs up quickly. There's an excitement. There's sort of a passion. But then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, is what the Bible says, begins to sort of rob you of your affection for Jesus. Other things begin to take a higher priority in your life than a love of the Lord. And so the idea is that this is what some people's lives look like. It's just, man, they, 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 they love the Lord, but there's just other stuff that's really more important. And so it just sort of chokes out their passion for, for Christ. And so the parable walks through all of these types of soil, all of these types of ground. And, and again, I think it's just a really challenging parable because I think all of us, when we read this, need to go, man, does my heart look like the path? Am I just really hardened to the things of God? Is God trying to talk to me or speak to me or lead me? Or, and I'm just like, nope, don't want to hear it. It's a good question. Does my life look like that rocky ground where, man, I get excited about the Lord, but once I leave, I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. 
There's no roots. I need to do some things to develop some roots. Or, or maybe is my life like that ground full of thorns where, man, I love the Lord, but there's just so many other things in my life that vie for my affection, and it's, I'm so easily like swayed by other things. Maybe we need to do some, some groundwork, right? We need to do some groundwork if we want to produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. Now, moving on, I've taught this parable probably dozens of times, and it's, uh, I've really spent the whole time just talking about the bad ground, and I've never really camped out or spent much time talking about the good ground. But the way the parable ends is with the good ground, and I, I found it really interesting this week as I was looking through this text that there really is three different kinds of good ground as well. Listen to the way the parable ends. Verse 23, as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, listen to this, in one case a hundredfold, and in another 60, and in another 30. So follow me on this. I, I think this is such an important, and I believe a freeing truth if we will get this. What Jesus just said is that even if your life, the soil, the groundwork is done to where God can speak to you, you can understand it, then you can produce fruit. What he just said is that the amount of fruit, the kind of fruit, the level of fruit that is displayed in your life may not ever look like the kind of fruit that's displayed in somebody else's life, and that's okay. Are you following me on that? That's okay. Can I just tell you that even in church circles, ministry circles, which I've been around my whole life, there is this unbelievable desire to compare yourself, ourselves to everyone else. We start to look at what God's doing in and through us or me, and then we look at that in light of what God's doing in and through someone or somebody else, and we start to do this comparison thing, right? And there's all kinds of problems with that. One is like maybe you're someone who's walked with God for a long time. Maybe through some trial and error, God's convicted you of some things and you've come out of that and you've, you've learned how to bear some fruit in your life. Maybe your life after walking with Jesus, all of the things I talked about bearing fruit earlier in the sermon, maybe you're doing one of those, two of those, all of those. And maybe your life is consistently bearing that kind of fruit. Listen, it's easy sometimes then to look at others and go, man, they're just, and get frustrated. Like they're not bearing fruit like they should be. We become Pharisees a little bit. They need to be bearing fruit like I bear fruit. Man, what's wrong with them? I know I've, I'm guilty of it. I've given counsel and advice and discipleship and walked with guys, and I get frustrated. I'm like, why aren't they bearing fruit like... Well, maybe they're never going to bear fruit just like somebody else. Most of us might fall into the other camp, though. Here's what else happens. We compare. Then what happens is we get frustrated with ourselves. We heap guilt on ourselves. We start to think man, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. My life is not producing the fruit that somebody else's life is. What's wrong with me? I need to do more. I need to try harder. I need to achieve more. And that's dangerous as well because Jesus just said, maybe if the soil of your life is right, your life might produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and that's okay. You've probably heard the old adage, you know, you be faithful and leave the results to God. And that is so true when it comes to bearing fruit. We need to do the groundwork. We need to hear from the Lord and, and, and take the steps necessary to do that groundwork. But then bearing fruit really in our lives is what God wants to do in and through us. And we can't get caught up in this comparison game. I use the analogy in the first service, you know, I have three boys and they all love sports. 
They all play, play sports and stuff. And so like my oldest is in high school. He's just starting high school. And he's going every morning at 5.30 in the morning. We get up at 5.30 to get to uh, football practice. And uh, dad gets to take him right now because he doesn't drive. <clears throat> so yeah, not about me. Anyway, okay. So I take him 5.30. He's unbelievably disciplined. He's up before me. He's trying really hard. My other son uh, plays in this other league and they practice in like the early evening. And in case you haven't noticed, it's 105 degrees outside every day right now, right? And so it'd be like my boys getting up super early, being very disciplined, trying their best, you know, working out in the heat of the day and coming back and going, dad, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. We're doing our best. And then me as a father, if I were to look at them and go, eh, you know, you're not, you're not this guy. I mean, what's wrong with you? I mean, why can't you be more like my boy Patrick, right? I mean, he's got a, a Super Bowl trophy and some rings and an MVP. I mean, y'all need to just do better. That would be sad. That would be ridiculous. That would be silly, right? If my boys work hard, work hard, and work hard, and they're, stri- they're striving and they're trying and they're, they're doing everything they're being asked to do, and then I simply just go, why can't you be more like Patrick Mahomes? I mean, you, just, you clearly haven't arrived yet and you clearly need to work harder. What's wrong with you? Parent of the year. That would be just ridiculous. And yet, when it comes to spiritual things and bearing fruit, that's that's what a lot of us do. Right? We we we're trying to walk in faithfulness and, 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 and allow God to work in and through us, and we just get caught up comparing ourselves to other people and what they're doing and the fruit they're producing. And again, I believe it's this freeing thing where Jesus goes, Look, there's, there's different kinds of bad soil, but there's also different kinds of good soil, and you're not all going to produce the same, and that's okay. That's okay. You be who God wants you to be. Now, tying all this together, how do we, how do, we do the groundwork? Here's what I think is so unbelievably um, just interesting and really kind of ironic. Most of us are here because on some level we go, I want to produce the fruit that God wants me to produce. But I find it really interesting that it it just kind of seems like the key to doing the groundwork, the key to having lives that are prepared and ready for all of the doing and the producing seems to be back in verse one, where we spend moments and carve out times and seasons of not doing. This whole story begins by Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And we already talked about how this was a regular habit and a regular pattern in the life of Christ. So what if the secret to us being better at the doing, which we all want, is actually to carve out times and seasons where we're not doing? I know it seems counterculture and maybe a really confusing message, but it seems to be the way of Jesus. When we get away and we can practice the solitude, the stillness, the silence, we carve out these times and seasons in our, in our lives where we clear away all the distractions. We can hear from the Lord. We can allow His Word to soak in and sink in in our lives. We hear that still, small voice. We are doing the groundwork so that we can produce the fruit we want to produce. I'm convinced a lot of us are like the hamster on the treadmill, and we're just caught up in the doing but we haven't done the groundwork. And we get frustrated with the doing. We're not measuring up, but if we would just carve out some seasons of not doing and allow God to prepare our hearts a little bit, we'd be so much better at the doing. Are you with me? And so I don't know where you are. I don't know what the soil or the ground of your life looks like this morning. Maybe you have to be honest and go, man, my life, my heart is a lot like the past. 
just kind of been hardened to the things of God, ask God, ask God to soften your heart. Maybe you're like, man, the rocky ground, I'm a little bit shallow. You need to take some steps as we leave to start developing some roots. Maybe it's more like that ground full of thorns where there's all this other stuff that just takes your attention and your worship and your devotion away from the Lord, and it's sort of choking out your spiritual life. But remember, even even the good soil, our identity is, is, is children of God. That's what we operate out of, children of God. God's not looking at you going, why don't you produce like so-and-so's producing over here? God, God's not doing that. God's a good father. And so our response is to be faithful and allow God to do the work in us that he wants to do. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're so grateful today for um, just the beautiful example that you give us in Jesus. Father, these, these simple little verses that we're often so prone just to jump right over, but they really do give us a glimpse into the way of Christ, where he just got away, he got alone, he sat by the sea, he went up on a mountain, he carved out time not to just do stuff. He carved out time just to be in your presence. And in so doing, God, he sets this unbelievable example for us. I know everyone in this room In one way or another, God, we're here because we want to be people that bear much fruit. We want our lives to display the the works and the character and the worship and the giving. God, we want our lives to bear this kind of fruit, but God, would you remind us that we'll be better at the doing if we can be disciplined enough to carve out seasons and moments of not doing, where we can just rest in your presence and hear from you where the groundwork of our lives becomes, God, that fertile soil that you can use. So help us to do that. God, help us to be that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.